that she appreciated the message, but that she needs prayer. And I said, well, well what do you need prayer about? She said, I, I need prayer because I have a very close friend of mine, and he just recently, I found out, tried to commit suicide. And she said, and I've never once shared the gospel with him. In that service that Thursday morning, many of you have heard me share the story, and I'm not going to, but in that message that I was uh, preaching, I tied everything together with the gospel and, and shared that time whenever I didn't share the gospel with Jonathan Hunter. And that young girl is standing there, and I said, well, have you reached out to this young man, or have you talked to him? And she said, well, we're not on the best of terms right now because he's upset. I said, well, look, the greatest way that you can get on the, the best of terms is show the greatest compassion and love that you can, and that is sharing the gospel with that young man. You see, if he has just recently tried to commit suicide, he's searching for some things. He thinks that his life is at an all-time low. He, he is looking for hope, and he's looking for it in all of these areas. The only one that he can find it in is Jesus Christ. And she was standing there with tears in her eyes, and as I was sitting there just listening and, and talking to her, after we got done, I, I went and I was walking out. She had just gone to class with another classmate, and me and Troy were walking. I said, tell me a little bit about this girl. What's her background? You know, good kid, bad kid, struggling. You know, what's her background? You know, all of the things that she's going through. And it began to share some of that information. Well, there's a lot of hurting young people right now. There's a lot of hurting people in general. But as we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're, we're so often sharing advice to young people. Telling them what they shouldn't do and what they should do and all of these many things. And sometimes we share advice that, yes, is very good advice, but we leave out some of the greatest advice that we find in God's Word because it takes a little work. Because you know, or at least you think you know, that they're just tuning you out. Notice what the Bible says, First Chronicles chapter number 28. We re-emphasize a couple of things this evening. Bible says in verse number 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. If thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take your Bibles, holding your place there, and go to the book of Ezra for just a few moments. I want to tie all of this together this evening, and I want to be an encouragement and help to you. I truly do. In the book of Ezra, you find a statement that is made in chapter number 7. <coughs> Our Sunday school class was looking at this, this this morning, and as we were looking at it, I, I knew that this one verse would be a help tonight in tying all of this together because we're always looking to share advice and counsel. We ought to. The next generation needs us. Uh, the, as Just as much as we needed the generation before us. You know, some of the greatest advice that I received is, is from uh, pastors who have been pastoring from 30 and 40 and 50 years. And they, they, they've been through some things. I remember seeking counsel from my, my stepfather. I remember asking my grandfather questions. I remember asking other men who have served the Lord and, and been doing these things. Hey, how do you approach this? How do you do these things? Notice what the Bible says in Ezra chapter number 7, verse number 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. 
This morning as we look at this, some things as you begin to think about as you prepare yourself and as you seek the Lord, as you begin to think about this verse right here, one of the greatest things that we see is right in the middle of verse number 10. We, we take great joy in knowing that Ezra, the Bible tells us, had prepared himself. You ought to be preparing yourself. As you approach the house of God, you should not come in flippantly. You should not come in saying, okay, we've got, uh, we've got 11 more minutes. It's 649. We've got to make sure that we get it. I'm going to take this thing off so it doesn't mess me up this morning like it did this morning. But you, you come to the house of God and you say, all right, I want to see the Lord do something. So I'm not going to just walk in and say, all right, well, you've got till 7 o'clock. Then I'm turning you off and then I've got to get home. But no, we, we begin to, to walk in the house of God and we say, Lord, we need you to do something. And so we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, to hear from the Lord. But notice in verse number 10 what he goes on to say. He says, and to do it. So we ask the question, where is the great divide? Why is it that we're seeing young people right this very moment with, with statistics of, of, of uh, committing uh, suicide and, and depression and, and all of the antidepressants and all this. Why is it such an all-time high? You know, I remember whenever I was a, a, a kid growing up and, uh, you know, I can't remember everything. I don't know what it was like 20, 30, 40 years before uh, I was a young kid. But I remember my grandfather and my grandparents and even my parents would say, ah, you, you young kids, it's just different than whenever I was growing up. You know, y'all have got your, y'all have got your Game Boys and y'all have got your Nintendos. You know what we had? We had a, a piece of paper and a pencil, you know, and they, they, they give us a hard time. And now I'm on the other side of that. And I'm thinking, you know what? As a, as a young kid, I didn't have a, a cell phone in my hand. I didn't have everything that is so easily accessible to, to the eyes and to the minds of young people right this very moment. My children are growing up in an age that is so technology advanced that they're, they're, they're naturally just gravitating to those types of things. Growing up, I do remember I was, you know, outside and we were playing outside. We were riding bikes. We were rollerblading. We were playing basketball. We were playing, I mean, we were outside all the time. And we can look at it and say, oh, it's just a tip, different time than it was then. There are some things that we can look and we can say, yes, there is a different time in some of these things. But there is still some things that ought to remain the same. As you come to this passage of Scripture, notice what he says in verse number 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord, and to do it. So where is the great divide here? Why is it that we're seeing young people not only discouraged and, and trying to commit suicide and depressed and all these many things, but also as they graduate school, they're completely getting out of church. They're running from God. They're trying to do all of these things. And I believe it falls in verse number 10 at the very end. Verse number 10, the Bible says this again. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And it goes on and says this. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Parents, if I could encourage you, it's not enough for you just to bring your child to church and think that the church is going to fill their mind with the word of God and that they're going to get on fire. It's not enough for your children to take part in Sunday schools. It's not enough for your children to go to teen camps and junior camps. They have to see it lived out in the home. We're seeing so many young people that are strained because they have so many questions. And look, I, I get it. Just the other day, we were riding and Holly began to ask some questions. 
And in that moment, I remember thinking, I'm just not in the mood to answer all these questions that a five-year-old is asking. But I was in that moment, I was convicted because I was thinking, you know what? She has a tender heart right now. And she wants to know. We were riding to church this, this evening, and one of the songs we were listening to was Behold Our God, a song our choir has sung. And there's a portion in that song where it says, Behold Our God, seated on His throne. So we're riding to church, and Jackson says, Dad, what does that mean, seated on His throne? Well, look, when I'm listening to music, I want to listen, and I want to belt it out. And I was thinking, oh, got to turn the volume down. Right? I'm going to pause that real quick, and we'll come back to a minute and 33 seconds on the song here in a second. And I had to explain to him, this is what it means. What, but, but why? Asking question after question after question. And I think one of the dangers that we're seeing in many young people's lives is that they're open to the things that they're hearing and preach from the Word of God, but they want to know why. Why do we do this? Why, why don't we do this? I, not, not just that you say, hey, because I told you so, but this is what the Word of God says. Look, if we truly believe that this is the foundation for the Christian life, then any time your child asks you, hey, why do we do this or why don't we do this? Because the foundation for life tells us not to, or the foundation for life tells us we need to, because this is a book of truth. You see, our children and many children are searching for all of these things. And as that young girl was standing before me and she was weeping and saying, I want to tell my friend about Jesus and I know I haven't. With tears in her eyes and she said, he just recently tried to commit suicide. You know, we had a conversation. We were sitting in a basketball uh, classroom probably a month and a half, two months ago. And a devotion was taking place on a Tuesday evening, and a question was asked. The, the topic that the devotion was on was dealing with all of the many vices that are entering into the church. Homosexuality and all of those many things that are creeping in. And, and I let everyone talk for a few moments, and at the very end, I, 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 you know, typically I'll, I'll hold off. And if the conversation picks up and I hear something that, hey, I agree with that, then I'll, I'll leave it. But in that, that conversation continued to go on, there was, there was no true understanding. I raised my hand and I asked the question, how many of you have actually dealt with this personally? How many of you have actually had someone in your family that lives that lifestyle, someone in your church that lives that lifestyle, someone in your, your circle that lives that lifestyle? How many of you have actually been affected by that? And not a single hand went up. And here's the truth of the matter. There are many of us that when we hear someone talking about someone trying to commit suicide, it doesn't even phase us. You know why? Because many of us have never dealt with that. And that many of us have never come to the place where we say, you know what, I have a family member that's done that. I have a friend that's attempted that. I have all of these many people I know that we, we're not phased by it. Because one of the things that is true about humans and mankind in general is that things that we hear don't affect us the way it would if we actually experienced it. I can't imagine what some of the soldiers go through as they're deployed and as they come back home and all of those things. I can't. Why? Because I've never been deployed. I can't imagine what my brother, who is a state trooper, goes through as he loses his partner in the line of battle in that moment whenever he is trying to chase a drunk driver and he runs off the road trying to capture a guy who is drunk who has just killed someone and he himself is killed and leaves a wife and a little newborn child. I can't fathom that. Why? Because it's not personal to me. I've never experienced those things. 
And so I've been praying, Lord, give me a burden for these things because I want to know how to reach these people and encourage these people. And the only answer that I've come to is that if I truly believe this book to be truth, and if I truly believe Jesus to be the answer to all pain, those who are hurting, those who are looking for hope, and those who are struggling, and those who are seeking for answers and direction and wisdom, if I truly believe that, then I must stop saying, I don't know what to tell him. Because you know what? I do know what to tell him. And his name is Jesus. You see, for every situation in our lives, the answer is Jesus. Those of you who have walked through the doors of the church and you're struggling right this very moment, the answer is Jesus. As we have Clarksville Recovery, look, I've never been an addict. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to get addicted to something so strong that you have to have it and you fight that urge all the time. I don't know what it's like to have a family member that goes off in that direction and does those things because it's never happened to me. But I can't just sit here and say, I don't have an answer for him. I don't know what to tell him. The answer is here. His name is Jesus. You see, we find the answer in the word of God, but the truth of the matter is we just don't want to fool with it. Let's be honest for just a few moments. But we don't want to fool with it. Why? Because it takes time. It takes energy. It's a, it's, a, it's a battle, it, it takes up the mind, and it's a struggle. And so for some of us, if we're not careful, we've got this next generation right here. And if we're not careful, we'll lose them. Why? Well, those are teenagers. That's Brother John's fault. He, he, he's the one dealing with them. Now, I don't have a teenager in the youth department. Why, 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 why do I have to invest in them? Now, look, my children are out of the home. I don't have to fool with that anymore. I, that's that's Brother Cyrus and Miss Celeste and Miss Sally and, and Brother Sean and Miss Autumn. That that's that's their problem. The kids, that's their problem. No. You see, the state of our nation is not because of politicians. The state of our nation is because we've got a lot of lazy Christians. We've got Christians who have stopped praying. We've got Christians who have stopped investing. As we read Ezra here for just a moment, notice what the Bible says in verse number 10 again. For Ezra had prepared his heart. So he is preparing himself and seeking the Lord. As he is seeking the Lord, he doesn't just want to seek the Lord and say, all right, Lord, I've done my work. No, he wants to seek the Lord. As the Lord begins to do the work in his life, and as the Lord begins to reveal to him, he wants to do what it is that God has prepared for him to do, and then he wants to tell others about it. Go to chapter number 9 for just a moment. Chapter number 9. We looked at this this morning for just a few moments. In the book of Nehemiah. But in verse number 3, the Bible says this. When I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of God, of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat, stonied, till the evening sacrifice. That word right there, right in the midst, is speaking of being astonished. The sin was so great that he was astonished by it. And one of the saddest realities in many of our churches right now, in many of our lives, is that we sit back sometimes and we, we sit there and we say, oh man, how did that happen? 
In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, we addressed this this morning. Nehemiah understood what the problem was, but first thing that he did is not address the problem. He addressed that he was part of the problem. And far too often, we sit there and we say, man, those young people, eh, if they would just, you know, do what they're supposed to do. Well, have you spent time encouraging them? Have you spent time praying for them? Have you spent time investing in them? Well, that's what the Sunday school teachers, that's what their parents are for. That's what, you know, that's what uh, uh, their, 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 their leaders are for and all the, their teachers and all. That's what them are for. That, that's true. They have a part in it. But could you imagine if these young people were so just taken back by the support that they didn't just get in the home, by the support they didn't just get in their Sunday school class, But every single church member that they knew, I can count on that one to encourage me to pray for me. I love each of these young men. I love these right here in the front row. I love all the young people in our church. But as I sit back and I think about the generation that's up and coming, I think about those statistics of young people trying to commit suicide. I told my brother-in-law while we were there, I had the opportunity of being around some of the, the facilities and the youth department and baseball game and saw some of the, the baseball players and things like that. And I said, man, some of these young people just look so defeated. What is it? Go me to Psalm number nine, if you would, for just a moment. I love Psalm nine, and here's why. Psalm nine deals with a psalm of praise, if you would. A psalm of getting serious and praising the Lord about some things, but I want you to notice some words that are found at the very beginning of this. A Psalm of David here, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says this, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name. O thou most high. There's one word that continues in each of these first couple of verses. You see it lived out many times in the life of David. And you see it's become become something that David is very serious about. You study Psalm 9, you'll find that it is a psalm of praise. But in the midst of him praising, two things that we begin to notice about this. It was personal to David. Can I share with you? Parents church family, as you begin to think about other people, you begin to think about the young people in our church, these young people are not going to be all that God desires them to be just because their parents are all that God desired for them to be. You know why? Because they have to make a personal decision. You know how many parents that I know that are faithfully serving the Lord, doing what God has called for them to do, and the child is run off living in sin, doing only what God can imagine of certain things they should not be doing, And they're sitting there and saying, man, here's why. It has to become personal. Can I share with you, I remember being a young teenager and and I remember sitting down with my stepdad and having some open conversations whenever I felt the Lord was calling me to preach. And he sat down and he told me, look, this is not a joke. This is a serious thing. Josh Farmer cannot live a certain way just because Richard Smith lives a certain way or because Lori Smith lives a certain way. Josh Farmer has to start making, and the way he would put it was, big boy decisions. I remember thinking about that. Being a sophomore in college, I remember thinking, why do I do what I do? 
Why, why do I go to church? Why do I read the Word of God? Do I really believe that the, that the Word of God is truth? I shared this with you a while back, but I have the privilege of teaching our young people the first Wednesday night of every single month. And as we go in there, I, I remember preaching and dealing with a passage of Scripture that is very, very difficult to actually see and understand. I ask the question, how many of you truly believe that all things work together for good? And truth be told, in an auditorium this size, right this very moment, with all of you here, more than half of you probably are wondering if that is actually true. Because of the circumstances you faced, the situations you've gone through, the questions you have. I, let, let me just share an example for just a moment. Do I, why, why, do, why can I look back as a young child and think, Lord, if, if they're supposed to be married, when they say I do, they're supposed to be married, how can I really believe that all of this is going to work out for good on the other end when my parents get divorced? I have questions. That was never God's intention for them to get a divorce. How, how can I, can, Lord, you, you allowed three miscarriages to my wife. How can I really sit back and say, hey, God, that's good. We have questions, right? Right this very moment, things are circling through your mind on questions you have, and you want to know, God, why did you allow this to happen? I remember Brother Warren Gallatin being with us a couple of months, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. During his time in England, he said he kept having people come up to him. And say, if your God is so loving, then why do bad things happen to good people? And I remember Warren sitting there and he said, I never had an answer for that. But can I share with you, the answer is very clear and it's found in the very beginning of the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, all the evil and all the bad came into this world. Cancer. Division, murder, all of those many things. But just because there is a lot of evil in this world does not mean that my God is still not good. And there are people and young people that are asking, why does this keep happening? And I close with this tonight. Go with me to Proverbs chapter number three. Because if I could encourage every single one of us tonight. The Bible says in verse number 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. As you begin to think about this, my heart breaks and my heart goes out to all of the young people right this very moment that are struggling and searching. I have come to realize that just because a young person has a smile on their face does not mean that everything is okay. The reason that I have realized that is because I go back in my own life and there are many days and even up to this day, there are many times when every single one of us walk in with a smile on our face, but deep down we're, we're hurting. One of the things that I have found to be true is in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct my, thy paths. I have wondered many, many times, Lord, how can I trust you in this situation? And every single time that I ask that question, it's as though the Holy Spirit says, keep on reading. Keep on reading. Verse number five says this. 
or in verse number six, the Bible says this, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. I have found that as I'm going through anything and everything in my life maybe seems that it's out of proportion and I'm struggling or I'm going through something that as I ask the question, Lord, how can I trust you in this? How can I trust you through this? That the more that I acknowledge my Savior, the more that I think on his love, his grace, his compassion, his mercy, that I begin to realize he has never truly failed me. And it always brings me back to verse number five, when the Bible says, trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Jeremiah is very powerful in making the statement that his ways are not our ways. But as I acknowledge him, I recognize he makes no mistakes. Whatever God has allowed to come upon your life, he has a way through it. As that young girl was standing there with tears in her eyes, I began to be convicted because in that moment I was tempted to say, I just don't have an answer for you. But I had just gotten done studying and just gotten done reading and thinking, you know what? There is an answer. And his name is Jesus. Listen, young people, if I could encourage you in one area of your life, is not just come to the house of God and read the word of God and think about, you know, all these things, but know him. Know him. Listen, church, know him. You say, oh, I know the Lord. No, 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 no. I mean, know him. Get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, show me your grace like I've never seen before. Lord, show me your compassion, your love. Lord, wrap your arms around me. And Lord, show me what you have for me. And Lord, help me to get to know you. They'll say, okay, but I've got to take you through some things. And in that moment, many of us say, well, if you have to take us through some things, then never mind. Let me ask you this question. If God needed to take you through the darkest season of your life for you to acknowledge and experience and really know the grace of God and the mercy of God like you've never known before, would you allow it? For many of us, we'd say, no, I just want the easy life. And I go back in my mind and I think back on some of the darkest times in my own life. And I remember looking back on those times and thinking, man, that was not pleasant. But you know what? In that season, I learned some lessons. In that season, I found him to be faithful. In that season, I experienced the grace that I'd never experienced before in such a deep way. Man, I got to know the Lord in a special way. And and man, I communed with the Lord like I'd never communed before. And so I want to encourage you tonight. As David is sharing that advice with Solomon, he's not just sharing it because he says, hey, this would be a good idea. David knew God. As his last words are being passed on to Solomon, he says, David, I mean, Solomon, know the Lord. Know him. Don't just talk about him. Listen, a heart knowledge will always be better than head knowledge. You can have all the knowledge of God and all the knowledge of God's word that you want to have. But if you don't live it out, it means nothing to this world and nothing to any of us. You know that to be true. And so can I encourage you? We need to get a burden once again. How's that burden going to start? The closer we get to Jesus, the burden gets more and more heavy. So, Lord, I got to reach souls. I got to tell them about Jesus. The young girl standing before me. We talked about it before. It's them ugly tears. 
where you're, you know, and standing before me. Two other men standing right there listening to her, and she says, I've never once told him about Jesus. In my mind, I relived that text message. Getting the text message about Jonathan Hunter. Hey, was this the Jonathan Hunter you grew up with? And in many ways, every time I think about that, there's so much pain going back to that moment of not sharing the gospel. But in many ways, it's a powerful reminder and it's much motivation to keep telling people about Jesus. It's a reignition of, of, of a burden to tell people about Jesus and make sure that people understand that as they're looking for answers, they're looking for hope, and as they feel that there is no hope that there is, and His name is Jesus. As I preach to young people, as I preach to the church, as I go and I see people that are hurting, my heart breaks and I think, man, the only thing that they need to know is that Jesus loves them. The rest in Him. As I think about the picture I saw just the other day of Clarksville Recovery, my heart is thrilled to see God using that ministry because many times I said, I don't know what to tell them. But the entire ministry centers around one thing. Jesus. This world needs Jesus. We need Jesus. These young people need Jesus. You need Jesus. Do you have a burden tonight? Is it just, is the Christian life just a, a life? Is it just, ah, wake up and we'll see what happens? Or do you have a deep desire to know your Lord and Savior like you've never known Him? Lord, we do thank you tonight. Lord, we think about what you're trying to do in our midst Lord, tonight, no points, no sub-points. Lord, you've been dealing with me on these things. As I think about hurting people, sometimes it's at a gas station having a conversation. Sometimes it's in the grocery store. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a church member. But the answer to every single one of them is you. And Lord, I desire that you would burden us so much to get to know you in such a way, Lord, where we just have to tell people about you. Lord, that we would go back to that time when we accepted you as our personal Savior and the fire and the zeal and the burden to tell people. As I think about those who are struggling right this very moment, there might be some that are struggling in our church, Lord. They just need to be reminded that you're there and that you love them. I pray that you would help us, guide us, and direct us. And we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.